The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. I'm going to start out by asking you a question. Are you a have or a have-not? Now, I'll bet you once you heard that, you thought about money, and you're probably feeling, given our economy, uh, that you must be a have-not. But here's the secret. Wealth is not about money. The richest people in the world are those who devote themselves to helping others. And so I'm proud to have on the show today what would then be considered one of the richest men in the world, Larry Jones. He's the founder of Feed the Children. And he's the author of numerous books. We'll be uh, talking about one of them. It's called I Lost My Ball and Found My Life, which is the beginning of a book, a, a series of books, five books. Um, and this man is very, very special. And in a time when we are so, have, have so much of a tendency to think of ourselves as destitute because we measure our wealth in terms of money, this is a, a breath of fresh air, and I hopefully will be, I'm sure it will be, he will be, an inspiration to all of you. He certainly is to me. So welcome to the show, Larry. Thank you so much, Dr. Carroll. It's good to be with you. Now, um, before we, we get into this book, which is an incredible parable, uh, I really enjoyed it on so many different levels, um, why don't you give us a little bit of background as to how... <laughs> Because I know that this book, uh, there's, there are so many uh, autobiographical, perhaps consciously or unconsciously, so many autobiographical parts of you that are included, uh, but we'll get to that later. But why don't you, why don't you share how some, you, didn't, you weren't born uh, with the idea, well, maybe deep down, but you're not realizing it right away. You weren't born with the idea of starting Feed the Children. And um, perhaps by showing how you um, came from a life of, of not thinking about that to how your life was changed, I think that that offers a lot of insights. Well, I probably should begin by saying there's two, two, two there's been more than two, but there were two women that influenced my early life. One, of course, was my mother. Uh, my mother was a very, very strict mother, very religious, and uh, so consequently, you know, I was in church at least three times a week. But then we had a pastor's wife who was our, what you would call her term, a youth director. And honest to goodness, uh, we were continually doing things for others, meaning by that every Christmas we would go and sing for the elderly. We would go in the cold, stand on their porch and sing. We would visit, uh, you know, assisted living homes. We would visit uh, nursing homes. Uh, we were. She taught us that, you know, 
that your faith was how much you did for others. And not that there wasn't a vertical response to that, meaning by that, you know, a relationship with God, but that you were to, quote, unquote, love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. And so I was brought up with this, and I, I guess as the saying goes, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. So consequently, uh, I spent, my early life was totally trained to, to reach out and to help others. In my early years, uh, I, I picked up hitchhikers. And I, it wasn't, a, I mean, I didn't mind taking them to their destination, but I would, enter, you know, try to have a relationship with them. I would many times, you know, buy them a meal, uh, talk to them, and just show an interest in them because uh, usually a hitchhiker, as they told me so many times, I'm down on my luck. So consequently, those two women uh, were really uh, helpful in uh, shaping who I am today. Hmm. So I guess um, I guess it was close to when you were born that that in a sense the seed of feed the children was was born with you. It, it was, and and uh, you, one of the things that you'll, you'll you'll find in a book that I'm getting ready to, uh, I have another book coming out. Is basically eleven things my or maybe the twelve things my mother taught me. Uh, we when we moved from Indianapolis, Indiana to to Bowling Green, Kentucky, uh, we lived literally right our, our backyard backed up to the railroad tracks. And consequently, uh, back in those days, uh, there were a lot of men that traveled by rail, and they were known as hobos. And oftentimes, they'd come and knock on the back door and ask Mother, did she have any extra food? And Mother would always prepare whatever we were eating. She would give them a plate of food. Mm-hmm. And I can remember that over and over. And I can't recall one time, and my mother offered seconds. I can't, have, I can't remember one time where Mother, when she said, would you like to have seconds, that somebody said, uh, no, ma'am, what you gave me was, was sufficient. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And so consequently, by, by not only by word, but by example, and that, that was inbred in me. And uh, as, as, you know, so sometimes you, know, you're doing, you feel like you're doing things by rote because that's what you've always been taught. Yes, wow. Um, boy, <laughs> it's, uh, it really shows the importance of, of people doing that today and how, unfortunately, there's such a lack of that. Well, you, you heard the old statement, uh, I can't hear what you're saying because what you do speaks too loudly. Yes. And, and I think that one of the things, and, and I have a, I think, you know, I, when I come back to America is when I have trouble. I'll put it this way. We, we all have schedules. Uh, we, you know, we got a, we got a, our, uh, our phones, you know, we got, we can't even, we can't even do anything without a phone call, a text message. I mean, we live in such a very, very fast paced world. And all of a sudden, you know, you come to realize that the world is passing by you. And you're really not a part of it. I got a call the other day from a friend of mine who's uh, an actor in Hollywood. And he's actually a distant relative. And he, he, he left me a voicemail as I uh, did, was, was not able to take the call. And he said, you know, I, I so appreciate uh, you know, being with you because you live in the real world. Mm. I live in a world that is not real. And so consequently, we, 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 and it's, it's easy for all of us to, to all of a sudden become wrapped up in our schedules and what we're doing. And we really forget the world that's around us. And right now, the world around us really needs us. America, and just like I picked up the New York Times today, and uh, consequently, and, and I, my men just got back, but in Kenya, it hasn't rained for two years. Mm. And I sent a TV crew over there uh, about 12 days ago. They're coming back in this afternoon. And here it is right here, front page New York Times. It's going to be hard for someone in America to be concerned about somebody in halfway around the world when they say, look, I've got my own set of problems I can't solve. How can I be concerned about people who haven't had water for two years? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you really have to make yourself, almost in today's world, you make yourself think of somebody else because your life is so jam-packed. Yes, yes. 
and and you know and jam packed with things that that really are superficial. I mean, how many text messages do you have to get? People just on Twitter, and <laughs> I mean, yes, I'm a technophobe. I'll admit that, but I also think that some this is all sapping time, time that we could be spending um, doing a lot of different things, um, including helping others. Well, you know, the, the other night I'm a I'm a walker and a jogger, and I was out. It was it, was, it already gotten dark. I started late. And there was a car under a streetlight, and I couldn't see who was in it, but there were two bi- bicycles that came up the street, and they didn't know where to pass the car or not because it was standing, it was still. And as the two bicycles came around the car, uh, I heard the guy say to the girl, uh, thanks for stopping uh, while you text. <laughs> and as I walked up, now, now here I am, you know, 8.30 at night, somebody's under a streetlight and texting somebody, and like you said, it's probably just, you know, uh, just a friend. And, and at the same time, we get so bound up, and I've got to answer this, and I've got to call this person, I've got to do it, and all of a sudden, life is rushing by, and we're, 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 we're doing things that are extremely minor, and we forget the major things. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, some of the, like, I'm having coffee now, or, or what, are you, what are you up to? What are you doing? I mean, like, usually it's yes. not something that, that's that earth-shattering. Well, why don't we, um, I just would like you to continue to give a little bit of a context before we get into the book so that people will kind of understand that better. Um, what, just for people who, who don't know what Feed, um, Feed the Children does, would you uh, describe that? Well, we, we have, um, we're, we're, we're national as well as international. Right now the major program that we have going on in America, we just uh, furnished uh, backpacks filled with school supplies and food to 120,000 children who go to school in America, but they're homeless. And this is one of the most touching programs that we have because these children live in motels, they live in shelters, and um, we're doing that as we speak. Secondly, in America, we have a program called Americans Feeding Americans. And what we do with that is that uh, we're going to some of the poorest country, poorest cities in America, meaning by poor, meaning cities where factories have shut down, people have lost jobs, and extremely high unemployment. And we're going there, uh, my next two cities I'll be going to next week is uh, Lancaster and I think Chester, North Carolina. It's about an hour south of Charlotte. I've never been to either one of these towns, but they've had factories closed, and literally hundreds into the thousands of people have lost their jobs. And as everybody knows, when you get ready to find a job, uh, in today's world there's hundreds of people standing in line before you. And then we're also international, and uh, we, we do have programs. We've shipped food and uh, supplies to 118 countries, we have offices in about 17 countries that we work consistently in. Hmm. So between the national and the international, we stay very busy. Well, um, yes, I think it's important that people realize that it isn't just international. It's it's uh, it is uh, you do do a lot of programs in America as well. And uh, you know, as I'm sure you you know, when when there's scarcity, um, people develop this or. Uh, are more intense in their me, me, me uh, philosophy or desperation, really. Um, and so that's either in regard to themselves or their family or their towns. And so it's, sometimes it's hard, as you were saying, you know, to worry about Kenya when not having rain, when, um, when people, you know, now that America has, has run into difficulties. But, but, of course, it's so important to, uh, to reach out all over the globe. I mean, for just humanitarian reasons, but also for peace, because when they see those feed the children trucks pull up, you know, I mean they'll they'll remember that when um, people try to 
to whip up these nations into a frenzy against the West. Well, you know, one of the things that, that I think that we probably have been, uh, you know, you've heard the old saying, uh, you know, walk uh, 30, uh, 30, uh, walk 30 days in a man's shoes before you judge him. I think one of the things that, that we have to come down off of this high pedestal everybody puts us on, and we have to walk with nations. We, we, we sometimes want to come into a nation and we want to, to tell them or instruct them what to do when we really need to walk alongside of them and come to understand, understand them and also understand their culture. And so, consequently, because we are wealthy, because we are a mighty nation, because we are at the top of the heap, we have this attitude that we're going to tell the world what to do. Yes. And as the saying goes, you can take a mule, uh, you know, lead a horse to water if you can't make him drink. And so you, we get a lot of resistance, like right now in Iraq, while we, we've done the very best we can do, at the same time, there's still chaos there. There's chaos in Afghanistan, definitely in Pakistan. And so there's this, this budding heads of, of culture, budding heads of religion, and uh, we really have not ha- had the uh, ha- had this, the sit down in what you would call a uh, I think there's a group called Friendship uh, Force, which you know they go to a country and they stay two or three weeks in somebody's home and then they come here. We need to understand each other, and there's there's too many too many bullets flying when it could be that uh, you know uh, uh, we need we need plates of food flying instead of bullets. <laughs> yes, that's absolutely true, and that's what that's what feed the children does. And when we come back, we'll hear more from Larry Jones, the founder of Feed the Children, and more about uh, what he does and about the stories that he's written that are very inspirational as well. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. 
Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, here today with a very special guest, a very special man, Larry Jones. He's the founder of Feed the Children, the author of I Lost My Ball and Found My Life, also of Keep Walking, One Man's Journey to Feed the World, One Child at a Time, and uh, so many other books, um, God, Life's Interruptions, God's Opportunities, and his debut novel, Black Box. And, of course, I should say that um, these, of course, just like with everything that he does, uh, the proceeds from these books go to Feed the Children, of course, which is his, his, his passion, his life's calling and his passion. And, and I should also mention that um, I was so impressed when I first uh, found out about Larry and the, the good work of Feed the Children, the extraordinary work, um, that I, I, I'm sure listeners who have been with me for a while have know about my mother's children's book called Archibald Swiss Cheese Mountain, and we donate a portion of the proceeds from that book to feed the children because that's how much we believe in this. You know, you have to be very careful uh, sometimes what organizations you donate to, and uh, Feed the Children is the most, in my opinion, um, uh, up and up, the most... They they take so little for themselves, just the bare minimum, and they devote their whole uh, life to giving to others. And and you can certainly feel safe and uh, proud, as I do, actually honored to be giving uh, a portion of the proceeds of my mother's book <laughs> to feed the children. So so this is one that you can really count on and, and feel really good about yourself by donating to. So Larry. Why don't you um, tell us about the story where of the little boy that you met that even though obviously as you were saying um, earlier in the show, uh, in a sense you were, you were born and bred uh, to realize the value of giving to others, but the actual idea for Feed the Children came from a very special encounter that you had. So why don't you tell us about that? I was in, in Port-au-Prince, uh, Haiti, speaking at a church, and... Uh the associate pastor took me back to the motel I was staying in. Very, very small, no air conditioning. It was about 95 degrees and about 95% humidity. And I got out of the car to go in the motel, and this little boy was standing there. He, I'd already met him. He was nine years old. His name was Jerry. 
And uh, he said, yeah, do, you have, do you have a nickel? And I said, what for? And he said, well, I haven't had anything to eat all day, and if you give me a nickel, I'll go to that store over there and I'll buy a roll. Well, it was 9 o'clock at night, so I said, okay. And so I reached in my pocket, and he says, uh, you've got to realize now this is 1979, and when a nickel would go further than it does today. And then he said, you have three pennies? And I kind of chuckled and said, what, what are they for? And he said, well, if you give me three pennies, he said, I will, uh, they'll cut it in half and put butter on it. I said, okay, you've got to wash it down. How much is a Coke? And he said, 12 cents. Altogether, I gave him 20 cents, and he thanked me and went across the street. And I'm standing there, and, of course, coming from Oklahoma, I just realized that America had, at that time, 35 million metric tons of wheat stored in their grain elevators. Here's a child who doesn't even have a piece of bread who lives an hour and a half by air from the United States. Now, what I just told you, I came back and I shared that on television, and I said, I added this to it. To me, it's just common sense. We could take this surplus wheat we have, we could feed hungry children, it helps the farmer because he can't get a good price because he's got too much of it. And then thirdly, most people don't even think of it. It helps the American taxpayer. We're spending millions of dollars to let it sit somewhere. And that's all I said. I just made a point. Mm. And then next thing you know, over the next two months, Oklahoma farmers just picked up the phone, called me, and said, I'm going to give you a truckload of wheat. Well, they gave me something I didn't even ask for. And so all of a sudden I had all and by the way, 50 truckloads, it's over 50, but it was it, it, that equates to over 2 million pounds of wheat. That's a lot of wheat. And I tell people I had a two-car garage. And so consequently I started, and I'm not a farmer, so I really didn't know what to do with it. So I <laughs> immediately started getting it clean bagged and sent overseas uh, to feed hungry children in Haiti where the mothers could take it and uh, grind it down or, 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 or you know, take it in, a, in a, like a crucible and, and, and uh, make bread out of it after they pounded it, you know. So anyway... And then somebody from Nebraska gave me a, a wheat grinder, and we sent that down, a commercial one. And all of a sudden, you know, things started happening. People called, a doctor called, and said if they if they don't get enough to eat, they're probably sick. And so we started medical teams. And this particular doctor who's donated all of his time, he and his wife both, and when people go overseas, why they've gone on close now to 150 medical trips. In fact, they're on a medical trip right now. I think it's in Moldavia, if I'm not mistaken. But they're there for two weeks, and everybody pays their own expenses. And we take medicine and um, eyeglasses. We have dentists that go, optometrists that go, and whatever we have left over, we live with a clinic. And they, they go and they stay two weeks at a time. It's incredible. They go to a different location every single day, and they'll see anywhere from 800 to 1,000 people a day. Wow. So this, 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 all of it, just, it began to, mu- to snowball, and uh, next thing you know, we're 30 years later and still uh, feeding children. Yes. And... Um... And we were talking during the break, and I was asking you whether it was conscious or unconscious that in the story I lost my ball and found my life, that in fact um, there is sort of an epiphany uh, with the man who loses his ball and also meets a little boy. Why don't you tell us um, about this story? Well, if if people get the book or they've seen the book, uh, and by the way, you can get, of course, you know, I think Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, I think Borders has it, everybody, you can order it online. And uh, when you see the word Jones, uh, why well, I was literally, that, that's an actual portrayal of the actual place where I got the inspiration to write the story. Uh, the, the, this village, is, this school is in uh, Cabrera. It's about a million people in, in about 500 uh, acres. And the people are just stacked in there. You can't believe how they live. And, and we, we, we feed in Kenya, we feed 212,000 children who live in the slums of Nairobi. Wow. And I was at this school where we have a school feeding program, and I was standing there uh, looking, and, and here, here you have these extremely poor children, and right there's a wall, and behind the wall is a golf course. And so and that, so I'm standing there, 
And I'm thinking, what would happen if a golfer hit his ball over the wall and he came and looked for it and this little boy found it? And then all of a sudden, this, this is back to what we were talking about in the first 15 minutes of the show. Here's a man who is affluent, wealthy, and all of a sudden he encounters a child who is extremely poor. And then, of course, they, the little boy finally gives up the ball, gives it to him. A few days later, the man comes back. He uh, wants to talk to the little boy, and the teacher says he's not at school today, and he shares how the little boy's mother had died the night before uh, from uh, HIV. So it, the story, of course, goes on from there. And so when I got this inspiration, of course, I've been going to Kenya uh, come next month for 30 years. And so I'm pretty well into their culture and into who they are. At the same time, I, I, I'm this is back to what we were talking about. We're so confined to our little world at the same time. Right now, there's about 12 million AIDS orphans in Africa alone. Mm. And this is children who are really, really struggling. It's really sad. And so I... Uh, I've, I've thought about writing these books. I wrote this book, and then all of a sudden the second book, which will be out in January, is called The Virgin Cure. And then uh, hopefully sometime next year the third one is almost completed. I'm not going to share the title yet, but uh, I'm, I'm staying, sticking with The Virgin Cure. And the, the basis of that book, and most people can't believe it, but if somebody gets AIDS in Africa, the witch doctors came out and they said, if a man has AIDS or, and he's HIV positive, if he will have sex with a, with a virgin, then he'll be cured. Oh, my God. The only thing he's doing is infecting another person. And there's so been so many children. I mean, we're talking about, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old children, little girls who have been infected because a man said from the witch doctor that he would be cured. Mm. So we're writing an entire book on that, and then, like I said, we're going to write three, four, and five. And hopefully, even though it's a novel, there's a lot of truth in the books, and we want to educate people to what's going on. And hopefully that, you know, we'll step outside of ourselves help somebody on the other side of the world who has a different definition of struggling than we do. Yeah, wow. Is, is there a, you know, I think I, I heard of that, but I, I it just seems so hard to believe. Is, is there anything going on, or um, I don't know if the children is doing anything, but you know of anything that's going on to try to get these witch doctors to realize that this is counterproductive? Well, one of the things that we're doing, there's a place southwest uh, of uh, Nairobi called Maparasha. It's in the land of the Maasai. And there's a school there that, that I went down to visit. It's about three and a half hours by, by car. And they told me when I was driving literally in the desert, they told me there were going to be about 1,100 children there. And I'm saying to myself, there is no way that 1,100 children can, can be at one place in, in where we are. And lo and behold, we got there, and we, then I come to find out that some children walk as much as 10 miles one way to school and then back home again. And so I talked to the principal, who is very progressive, and he said um, he had rescued six girls who had been, uh, you know, in in their culture, uh, a man will come to a a father and say, I'll give you five cows and 20 goats and and 20 blankets and a case of whiskey if you'll give me your 10-year-old daughter to be my new wife. Mm. And so consequently, he's rescued six girls, and we're getting ready to build him a, a dormitory so that these girls can stay in the dormitory, and then he's personally has gone to these men that, that are most of them over 40 uh, and told them, if you try to come and get your, quote, wife back, mm-hmm. uh, I will report you. It's against the law, but when you're out in the middle of the desert, uh, you can't call 911. <laughs> yeah. So consequently, and my wife, uh, Frances, was with me when we visited, and here I looked over at her, and there was a girl that was taller than her holding a baby, and we got through. I said, what were you doing? And she said, that girl is 13 years old. And she's, 
she had the baby when she was 12. Mm-hmm. And so when you have this kind of thing happening, and then, of course, uh, the other thing, uh, there is a, a basically what you would call an itinerary nurse that, that goes around. We're going to see if we can't get continual medical care for them. So this is really, I mean, it's really, uh, when, you, when, you, when you see what's going on and you see that you can help change, then all of a sudden it grips you and you're not into the me, me, me and my, my, my. And you say, what can I do to help? And, of course, I, I just I was very fortunate. I don't know if you heard it or not, but uh, a couple of weeks ago we were in Los Angeles. We were the charity for the daytime Emmys. And Montel Williams and Susan Lucci and Anthony Gary and uh, Kelly Monaco went with us to Africa to see what we do. Mm. They were really, really touched. In fact, Susan Lucci uh, and, old, and Eric Estrada also. But the Susan and um, Montel rescued a baby, and that was, uh, I'll tell you about that. In- yeah, well, we, oh, well, stay tuned. We need to hear about this. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. My guest today is Larry Jones. He's the founder of Feed the Children and the author of numerous books. We're talking about I Lost My Ball and Found My Life, the beginning of a five-book series. And um, stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. What can you tell me about SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome. Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. On the web at skillsusa.org. Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer, and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy Easy to understand tools and tips. With his weekly guests, Jim draws from successes with professionals, college, high school, and youth teams, coaches, and players. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships... Check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. 
www.drcarol.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, here today with Larry Jones, a very wealthy man, because his wealth comes from doing good for others, which he began, as he told us, since he was a little boy. And that's really what parents should be teaching all their children. Uh, if you're listening and you're a parent, please, I hope you, I hope you got that message that how important it is to instill this, this compassion for other people, right? The, or the sooner you can instill it, the more powerful it is. It's really hard once, once a child has, uh, grown up being spoiled or thinking that the world revolves around them or thinking that people that are watching that his parents don't really care about other people in the world. It is by example, as Larry was saying earlier. Um, so all of that is so important. Well, before the break, Larry, you were talking about uh, the daytime enemies uh, taking a trip <laughs> that, that must have, I would have loved to have been on that trip. That must have been interesting to see uh, the daytime soap stars dealing with Africa. Um, and, of course, showing then the, the footage on the daytime air, Emmys, which is fabulous, to really bring it to the attention of so many people. And you were starting to say that Montel Williams adopted a child? Well, no, he, he and, uh, he and uh, Susan Lucci went to rescue a child. We have an abandoned baby center. And so they went to uh, a home and, uh, and rescued a child. I mean, it was prearranged because uh, people will call us, or the, the social workers will, and say, we've located a grandmother. She can't take care of the child. She doesn't have the resources, and she'd like you to come and take the child. And so in most cases, the mother and the father have already passed away. The grandmother's old and doesn't have the resources, so uh, we let them go take a child. But my wife and Eric Estrada went to a home to rescue a child, and, and I was standing outside because the, 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 there was not enough room inside because very, the, when I say home, I'm talking about a one room uh, mm-hmm. that's connected to another one room that's connected to another, and each family has one room. Anyway, uh, when they came out, they came out with three. And Eric had two, and my wife had one. And I said, I said to him after they got through filming, I said, just a minute, I thought you all were going to get one child. And she said, well, she, the grandmother had five, and she, she, she said she couldn't take care of these three, so we're going to take all three of them back to the abandoned baby center. And I'm going, oh, my lands. And of course, Eric was just taken back because he saw the conditions and he saw the situation. And uh, so we, and theirs, they got, they got three children instead of one. And it, it's uh, in many cases, it, 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 it's, 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 it, it's mother or the grandmother loves a child more because than than say some who try and can't. I don't want to start talking about degrees of love, but the point is they want the child to have the best upbringing and, and be fed and taken care of. And so it's 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 not an act of of somebody saying I don't care. It's an act of great love that you want your child to have the best. And so consequently, the the, the center. The Abandoned Baby Center was opened in 2001, and we've had nearly 400 babies go through the center because what we try to do is get the babies either adopted or in foster home. And, and I probably should tell this at this point. My wife and I brought a little boy named Daniel uh, to America uh, three and a half years ago. Uh, he was when he, he was at the Abandoned Baby Center, but when he was born, he was, he was abandoned, and the dogs uh, ate the left side of his face off, including his ear. And uh, the next morning, a lady was walking by this dump and heard a baby crying, and saw the do- what the dogs were doing, and she shooed the dogs away, 
picked the baby up, took him to the hospital. He was there eight months, and they brought him to the abandoned baby center, and at the age of four, my wife and I brought him to America. Yes, and which was another, uh, I couldn't help thinking also about with this new series um, that you're writing, starting with I Lost My Ball and Found My Life, that that, too, uh, had to do with um, a man, a man's life being changed by this little boy um, from Kenya. Uh, yes, and, and he just, uh, uh, last week, uh, he had his eighth birthday. He's had, by the way, three main, three surgeries, a doctor in Houston and a hospital. Uh, said he'll need six major surgeries oh, wow. in a 10-year period. And they, they, they took 25% of his back off, took all the left side of his face off and put it back, hooked up the veins. Then they took a, a ligament out of his rib, made an ear. And the last thing they've done, they took about six inches below the groin and took the muscle out put the muscle inside the jaw so when he smiles he'll have expression hmm. and uh, this little fellow is just uh, well I can't say enough about him he's, he's very bright and um, you know at my age I just really didn't expect to have a uh, <laughs> eight year old running around the house well and that's um, but it, it's kind of like finding your life just like the man in the story I know you don't want to give away too much of this story and of course I recommend that this is a, a wonderful parable um, this book, and and I don't, I know you don't want to give away too much of it because then people won't buy it, and the money won't get donated to the orphans of AIDS, um, to AIDS orphans. But but uh, there was there was so much of it that I mean, this concept of I, I think we can talk about this. I hope um, this concept of how here was this rich man, as you were starting to describe before who was playing on a golf course, and this golf course in this town really do exist in Kenya. As Larry was saying, he was there. He saw it. Um, a wall separating the affluent people who are playing golf, beautiful green golf course, and on the other side of it is this incredibly, incredibly poor town and poor children trying to go to school. And yet with this man who seemed to have everything, and that's why I called the show today, Are You a Have or a Have Not?, the man uh, playing golf, you know, was was wealthy and and had the time to play golf and and um, belonged to the golf club and so on. And uh, just like celebrities, it would seem that his life was idyllic, that he was a have. And yet, really, when he saw the little boy on the side, the other side of the of the wall, who had nothing in terms of material goods. But he seemed to have so much more because he seemed to be happy with so little. When he when he found the man's golf ball that came over the wall, um, it, he was just ecstatic. And he was and and even when the man uh, came to see the children, he, he learned that the children in this poor town, even though they had nothing as far as material goods, that they had so much more than he did. Um, because they were able to be happy and they were able to be compassionate with each other. And um, that's about all as far as I'll go to not ruin the, the you know, tell the ending. But um, but I, that's such an important concept, and, and I'm sure that that's what you try to, to show by example and to explain to people in all with all the different programs that you do every day. I, I wonder... You know, I've seen you in action, and, and you seem to have this never-ending, you're like the energizer bunny, but I wonder if um, sometimes, or maybe increasingly now, as we are going through these tough times in the world, um, I mean, you know, including in America now, um, whether it gets 
frustrating to try to convey this concept to people about what richness really is. Well, it, it, it really is from the standpoint that uh, uh, many people didn't realize that Feed the Children had such an extensive national program right here in America. We've been doing it for years because they may turn on TV and see me in Africa or uh, Indonesia or see me in uh, Thailand or Guatemala or whatever. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we have this extensive program that goes on right here in America. And so uh, what you said a moment ago is what Susan Lucci said in regards to the children of Africa. She said, I, I, we took them to two or three of the schools where we do the school feeding. And she said, I cannot believe these children are so happy. But one of the things that you discover in, in, in a, a country that's a, a developing country is that these children learn, learn at a very young age to share and one of the things that, that caught my eye when I first started, I mean, this happened my one of my first trips to Haiti uh, when Feed the Children was started. Uh, you, you'll, go, you'll say to a little boy, oh, would, you like a, you know, would you like a Coke? And he says, yes. You buy him a Coke, and the next thing you know, five kids are surrounding you. He takes a drink without anybody saying anything to him. He takes a drink and passes it to the next one. Well, I'm getting ready to buy all five of them a Coke, and, and, and he's sh- sharing his Coke. Mm-hmm. They're taught to share, and j- just because that's just the way life is, and so this, and this, this happiness is not bound up in things like we are in America to, to have the, the latest and the newest and the, and the you know, most provocative or whatever. But uh, it's it just, it just really, uh, you, you, you sort of stand back and you're just overwhelmed by their, by their joy. And all of a sudden you're saying, you know, I came here to teach them something and I'm, I think they're teaching me something. Yes, and and um, what since you've been you know spent so much time in all of these different countries, do you think one of the differences um, has to do with the fact that these villages don't really get as much media, if any? I mean, certainly some of them don't get any kind of media, but but um, you know that there aren't violent video games, there aren't violent uh, television shows, there there isn't. I mean, although I must say, I, one thing that I'll never forget is being in Thailand and seeing a hut um, on stilts, you know, above the water, yep. and seeing a television in this poor, poor hut. So, I mean, I guess that there is some of that, but not to the extent that American children watch television as soon as they get home. Well, one of the things that you discover is, and you've hit on a very, very important point, and of course I would think that uh, Dr. Carroll would do that, and that is this. Um, they learn to entertain themselves while we are entertained by the media. Mm-hmm. And so th- there's a great difference. You- you'll see a little boy take some wire and make a truck. Uh, you'll, see a- you'll, see- you'll-, you'll go to a school, and they're playing soccer, and all the soccer ball is made of is somebody just kept getting more string, and, they- and it's made out of string. And they just make it into a little ball, and they kick that. So they're very, they're very creative because they don't have anything. And they, they, they do things that, uh, like, you know, they'll do hopscotch, but it, they'll take a rock and do it on the, uh, on the, on the, on the ground and, and draw it from, on, on the ground. And there's no concrete or chalk. It, it's just a rock, and they draw it on actual, actual ground. Mm. So they're very, they're very creative, but at the, at the same time, as the saying goes, they don't know what they've missed because they've never had what, they, what, the, what you could say, I missed. Mm-hmm. Yes, all these things that we're told to, to need, like uh, the latest uh, brand of sneakers, you know. We can't, uh, we're not cool if we don't have that. And uh, when, they, when they're not exposed to all of that, they develop more humane kinds of values. 
Well, we do need to take another break. My guest again is Larry Jones, the founder of Feed the Children. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Here's a show for baseball players, coaches, parents, and those who love the game. At least 90% of sports success, including baseball, requires mental strength in order to fully benefit from technical ability. And the higher the competition level, the more critical it becomes to possess mental muscle. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time to Championship Thinking, hosted by Jim Meyer and brought to you by the National High School Baseball Coaches Association. Jim, sports psychology coach, trainer, and author of numerous articles and the workbook, Championship Thinking, Building Mental Muscle in Baseball, simplifies the mental game with easy to understand tools and tips with his weekly guests jim draws from successes with professionals college high school and youth teams coaches and players learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure tension and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance tune in and tune up your mental and technical knowledge and skills with championship thinking every tuesday at 4 p.m pacific time right here on america's voice voice america son we gotta talk about drinking i know I don't want you touching alcohol till you're old enough. Yeah, I, I know, Dad. It's not a big deal. Don't, yeah, I know me, okay? And it is a big deal. Underage drinking is just stupid. Yeah, well, why'd you do it? Look, I did it because we didn't know what we know now. Alcohol affects kids differently, okay? When kids drink, it's more dangerous. And you're my kid. And just because they drink doesn't mean you have to. I, I know. I know. Look, son, I'm trying to help. I've seen what it does. I mean, you may think you can handle it, but when you drink, it screws up your judgment. Listen to me. This is real. I, I know, okay? I know. Teenagers know everything. So talk about underage drinking before they know it all. Before they're teens. Start talking before they start drinking. And keep talking. To learn more about the dangers of underage drinking and what to say to your kids, go to StopAlcoholAbuse.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Here today with Larry Jones, the founder of Feed the Children, 
the author of uh, a new book called I Lost My Ball and Found My Life, the first in a series. Um, it's a parable, and it's inspirational, and we've uh, teased you, I hope, given you enough of a tease to go buy this book so that uh, the proceeds from it can benefit the orphan children, the children who have been orphaned by AIDS, and um, and that you'll look out for the next in the series, the Virgin Cure, and the rest of of them that make that will make a five book series. So, Larry, um, what what would you like to say in this last segment? Well, I, you know, I always like to ch- challenge people. I I, uh, I I say to people, you know, uh, do what you can. And a big thanks to your mother for for saying, okay, part of the proceeds of, of the book about Archibald. You know, goes to feed the children. Uh, we, we we share with people all the time. Uh, we, hardly ever do you have somebody who comes up and writes you this huge, huge, you know, six-figure check. But we have so many people who do who to, do to them it's small things, but to us it's really really not a small thing. And and I say to them, there's a little boy over in um, in Mississippi. He saw our TV program and he said to his mother, I want to help feed those hungry children. To make a long story short, he grew a garden and put the vegetables out in front of their house instead of Kool-Aid. He had vegetables. People came and he said vegetables are free, but if you, but I want you to make a donation to feed the mm. children. He sent us a check for I think seventy one dollars and fifty cents. Mm. Then he came to Oklahoma City, and I was so impressed with him. He, by the way, he's five years old. Wow. And so anyway, I encourage people to do what you can. And on the other side, I always say to people, start your Rolodex. Meaning by that, uh, you may know someone. Feed the children's been very fortunate. Last year, we took in over a billion dollars <laughs> gifts in kind. I'm, I'm a Scotchman, and before I buy it, I ask you to give it to me. And what a gift in kind is, before I go buy food, before I go buy educational books, before I buy medicine, before I buy toys, I ask somebody, would you give it to me? So if you know somebody, maybe a member of your family, a colleague, a neighbor who has, uh, you know, works for a company, I just, just tell them, you know, Feed the Children has 55 semis. If they want me to give it away in the U.S., I'll give it away in the U.S. By the way, Crocs gave me 1.4 million pair that I have shipped to children overseas. Wow. So, Many people don't realize it, but that's one of the ways children get worms is by going barefooted. So we have shipped 1.4 million uh, pairs of Crocs overseas. So if somebody knows somebody who you know has clothing, food, medicine, books, whatever, uh, contact us. We'll pick it up, and we have warehouses across America, and we'll see that it gets into the hands of those people that need it. If they want to go overseas, we'll take it overseas. If they want it for disaster relief, we'll do disaster relief. But the whole thing is if everybody would do something, and it doesn't have to be big. Just do something. And uh, don't be guilty of saying, what you do today? And they say, nothing. Uh, you, you can do something, as small as it may be. And so I just encourage people to, uh, to get involved because there's a world of need out there. There's a lot of hurting people, a lot of suffering people. And people, uh, you've heard that old statement, um, uh, people don't care what you know till they, till they know you care. And so consequently, mm. people, people need to know. I've had so many people. A lady emailed me from uh, Maine. And she said, I was at your food drop. Thank you for the food. But she said, thank you so much for the box of personal care items that you knew I needed that because if I can't buy food, she had just lost her job. And she said, I, 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 you know, I need shampoo. And I need all the other things that you gave me that goes in my medicine cabinet at home. Thank you so much. I'm just so glad that you knew that I needed it. And mm. she still had her computer and sent me a very, very nice email. And so consequently, we can't, we can't do everything, but we can do something. And when you close your, eye, close your eyes at night, be able to say, you know, I helped at least one person, or I helped two people, or I made a phone call that really counted. And so if everybody will do something, uh, the world will be a better place in which we live. 
And you have uh, so many different kinds of program. There, there's sort of something for everybody to to get excited by. Do you want to give us some highlights? Yeah, yes. Uh, I, I share with people, you know, for $18, we put a backpack filled with school supplies in the hands of a homeless child who goes to school, but they don't, they don't have a home. Uh, I share with people, you know, that uh, right now we're telling people for $40, you can feed a, fam- a family in Africa who's experiencing famine for $40, a family of four. And my guys are coming back. We'll have a TV show on hopefully within the month with this, this terrible thing that's going over there. Animals are dying. There's no crops. And the people are really, like I said, first page of the New York Times today, front page above the fold, is this story about Kenya. So uh, if they go to our website, by the way, which is, of course, you know, feedthechildren.org, uh, there will be so many, many ways that people can get involved. But I just encourage people, you know, to do as, as much as you can and get outside their, the little circle in which they live because outside that circle, Suffering people. Yes, and and that really, if, if that's really how you feel rich. If you're feeling like you're missing something materially, you'll realize that doing, uh, helping in some way, just makes you feel so much richer than however much uh, money you you wish you had. Um, I, again, the the um, website is feedthechildren.org. And you'll just be, there are so many different pages on there. You'll be amazed um, at all of the different opportunities that there are to help um, the Abandoned Baby Center, the uh, lots of things in the United States, if that's something that you're feeling strongly about. Um, but there's just no end. And, and, yes, money is one way, but, you know, that's, that's such an inspirational story. I mean, if you want to help, you can figure out ways to help, like the story you were telling about the five-year-old boy who, who grew a garden, uh, grew food. And, yes, you don't have to – you can ask people for donations. You don't have to – I mean, that idea of giving something away and then asking for a donation is, is very successful, too, because people – People are more impressed by how much you're, what you're doing to show that you care than paying the cost of a carrot. You know, it's not about that. It's about recognizing what you're doing to help other people, and that's so much more valuable. Well, you know, one of the things that I always tell the story about a man in Oklahoma City who called, called his nephew, who lived in Montana, who grew Idaho potatoes, and he had a surplus. He gave me over a million pounds. I put it on TV, and the next thing you know, a man called me from South Carolina and says, I grow sweet potatoes. Could you take those? And I said, yes. And I moved a little over 2 million pounds of Idaho potatoes and sweet potatoes because one man in Oklahoma City made one phone call to his nephew in Montana. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just say to people, you know, you can start a chain reaction and not even realize it, and all it cost a man was a phone call to his uh, nephew in, in Montana. And, and here's the thing. If you will tell us where it is and what needs to be done, we'll do all the grunt work. And, and gladly do it, and give you a report back of what we did with it, and uh, and and hopefully you know we can go back to the well again because uh, one thing leads to another, and uh, it's just it's just a thrill. Like uh, I'm sure everybody's had Progresso soup. Uh, one year they put just a I mean a pinch too much salt in it. They gave me 69 uh. loads of Progresso soup, and I sent it all over the world. And somebody made a mistake, and I was re- I was a recipient of their mistake. And I, I tasted the soup before I sent it, and I couldn't even tell it had too much salt. But what I'm saying is, if you know someone of means, it doesn't. We're not talking about money now, although we we do accept money, of course. But if you'll give me the product, then I'll try to raise the money to move. And that's uh, and that's so. The answer is to go to feedthechildren.org, feedthechildren.org, and look at all the different projects that people are doing. You'll see me there with my mom and. 
Uh, my daughter dressed as Archibald Mouse under the projects um, menu bar. And just look at the wonderful projects that there are. And don't feel that, you know, no, no contribution is too small. Whatever you have to contribute in terms of money, but even more, what you can do, what kind of project you can do, or what kind of phone call, as Larry was saying, you can do. And, of course, one thing you can do that's really easy is go to uh, the website or go to Amazon.com and buy the book that we've been talking about, I Lost My Ball and Found My Life. And, uh, and then look for the rest in the series, the second one being The Virgin Cure. And look at all the other books um, that Larry wrote as well. We'll be talking about another one of his books on a later show. But um, there are, just put in, uh, go to the, the Feed the Children website or go to the Amazon website or Barnes & Noble, and you'll just put in Larry Jones and you'll see countless books that he wrote, including Keep Walking, One Man's Journey to Feed the World, One Child at a Time, and, of course, that's his life. And Larry, thank you. You are just an incredible inspiration, and I'm sure you've inspired a lot of people listening to today's show. So thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you all for listening, and, uh, and I hope that your step is a little lighter as you go out there today and, and think about what you're going to do to help the world one, one mouth at a time. So you've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 